Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Doing absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? I am doing well on this Friday, the 22nd. Been a kind of a interesting week around the SEC and uh, in Mizzou. I know it's a little later than we usually come to each week, but we thought better late than never. Langston, where do you want to start this week with everything that's happened? I mean, I think the biggest news of the week you know, with uh, Missouri and uh, hiring Steve Wilkes as their defensive coordinator seems to be the biggest thing that's happened here within the past week. Yeah, let's start, let's start there. Missouri did hire Steve Wilkes, former Arizona Cardinals head coach, former longtime NFL assistant as their defensive coordinator. Did not coach in 2020, but it seems like Drinkwitz's philosophy for hiring coaches kind of went out the door, but didn't at the same time. He always... He's not a conventional coach, and this is an unconventional hire, but it wasn't the getting the band back together type of thought we thought was coming along. But it seems like they got a guy who Nuda has the credentials. Is it just the college street cred that kind of is the question? And if Drinkwitz is sold that he has it, I guess we all should be. I, I, I'm curious for your thoughts on that one. I mean, when they announced uh, that Wilkes would be joining the staff as a coordinator, first i was i felt kind of relieved i was happy to see Wilkes get a job after not having one in 2020 um just because i think he got a really a raw deal in the nfl and i know this is not an nfl podcast but when you look back at that 3 and 13 team in arizona his first year of being a head coach after being a successful defensive coordinator with the you know carolina panthers it was one of those instances where the gm had a chance to reset the entire franchise punt on a first year head coach get rid of josh rosen and kind of reboot with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. And I'm not saying that, you know, Steve Wilkes was perfect in that job. They were 3-13, and didn't have a ton of talent. But he gets fired from there, and then he joins a Cleveland team under Freddie Kitchens where, you know, the organization. And so to see him kind of be in two situations that really kind of out of his control and to see him get booed from both of those, to now see him get an opportunity to kind of rebuild his career here at Missouri, I was excited for him, and I'm excited to see what he can bring to this Tigers team. Yeah, as Drinkwitz kind of uh, put it in the press release to us, um, they didn't have any connection, which is which coaching-wise, but they did have a connection. Uh, Wilkes is an Appalachian State grad. He had coached with Charlie Harbison, actually, on that 2018 Cardinals team. He was Missouri's defensive backs coach. Um, and then so when Eli Drinkwitz got the App State job in late 2018, um, or actually that would have been late 20, no, that would have been, yeah, late 2018. I was right the first time. Um, it, you know, Wilkes kind of reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm an alumni. If you just need me as a resource, yada, yada, yada. They stayed in contact and said, like, hey, if you ever need me, you never know. And so the wheels kind of turned there. 
Um, and that was that. It's, uh, we, we know that Wilkes, David Gibbs, the defensive backs coach of Missouri, and an unknown third person, maybe Chris Kiffin, who is the defensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns, speaking of them right now, might have been the unknown third person that got all got major interviews the uh, earlier this week. Wilkes kind of emerged from there. We don't know what happens to David Gibbs now. If he stays on, changes roles, we don't know. But, you know, it, it seems like Missouri got not a one-for-one, one, but they got at least a competent person in as the D.C. Um, coming in football-wise. And so it's two weeks away from National Signing Day. Getting somebody in, I think, was important. Getting somebody in who could relate to the players is important. I know we talked about a bunch of names on the show, and Steve Wilkes was not mentioned once. But he, but it's a guy that works. And at the end of the day, this is not necessarily a home run hire. I don't think out of the gate you can't call it that. But we know it's not a strikeout hire. And there were some names on the board that could have been that. It definitely. And you know, I know that Steve Wilkes hasn't been in you know college football for I believe 15 years. But he's still someone who's proven as a defensive coordinator, and you know that one year as an NFL head coach. And so, how much does that translate to the college game? We'll, we'll see that. Um, next year but I, this is someone who can clearly coach and who has clearly had you know franchises billion dollar uh, owners get behind him and show support and he can he can coach so I definitely agree it's not a strikeout hire but it has the potential to be a home run hire if he's able to come to the college game and, and really apply what he learned in the NFL and kind of bring that down to college there might be a little bit of bias behind the statement that I'm about to say but I think the best defensive mind in football at any level right now is Ron Rivera and I thought that before he was the coach of my favorite team, but it definitely is now true. And having somebody who Ron Rivera considers in such high regard would be the biggest statement I think you can make about Steve Wilkes. Ron Rivera is like, yeah, this guy's great. This guy is a head coach in the making and then led that 2015 Panthers team, which is considered one of the best defenses in modern NFL history. And then they lost the Super Bowl to old man Peyton Manning and the Broncos that year. That was more on Cam Newton than the defense, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't even want to get started on that, Cam, not even attempting that, uh, attempting trying to get that fumble. Right, no, no, <laughs> not, not even not even trying. Uh, so that is there. But the other move that happened on the defense uh, this week was Brick Haley was very quietly, not to me, but very quietly in terms of public information, let go at, from Missouri's coaching staff. The defensive line coach doesn't have to appear to another job, but he has been removed. Uh, from the staff when you saw that and heard that the DL kind of coach was fired what did that indicate to you I know we're going in reverse order here but it indicated to me that a D, that a hiring was imminent and that it wasn't David Gibbs uh, but what did it indicate to you that Brick Haley who definitely had a lot of goodwill built up but the performances of the D-line might have said otherwise um I was a little shocked by the move and and like you once they fired or didn't um retain uh Brick Haley, it let me know that they must be going in a different direction and not hiring in-house for the defensive coordinator. So uh, I'm happy you kind of brought that up. But, you know, from all the recruiting stories that I've read and in the players that I've talked to, uh, and I, I think of Jalen Logan Redding in this uh, situation before he flipped to Minnesota, you know, one of the things that tied him to Missouri outside of, you know, this being his hometown is how much he loved Brick Haley. And it seemed to be, you know, throughout all the stories that you read that defensive line players really loved Brick Haley so it was interesting to see that he was let go but I mean when you bring in a guy like Steve Wilkes who I think has a certain type of cachet with his success in the NFL walking into the building hopefully he has that with recruits going on hopefully you know that that'll be enough to attract players defense players to Missouri but I was I was a little bit shocked and I'm, I'm interested to see how you felt when you you saw that he was fired so full discretion um, I kind of knew before the public did. Okay. Um, it was 
another organization, I don't mind mentioning who they were, but another Mizzou Beat organization uh, came out with the news. I was able to confirm it privately pretty soon after that. Um, I got a story up, So, and, and then when talking to Mizzou Athletics, they never officially confirmed it. They just removed it, his profile from their website. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the right move from Missouri. I'm not, I'm not, someone who built up as much goodwill as Brick Haley had in the Columbia community, it was going to be a messy split no matter what. And I think that the way Missouri did things is kind of the way they had to do things in college athletics, and I understand that. It's a two-way street when it comes to these things in college athletics. At the end of the day, I'd like to hear confirmation trying to just do my job instead of going through back channels. I'd rather do it the onboard way. Um, but if that's not an option, then I have one answer. For, for those who don't know, uh, Coach Haley's just in the community and – you know, you can obviously go read it online. I don't want to get into it now because obviously he's not a coach of Mizzou anymore. But Coach Haley's done a lot of goodwill with the community and just has, through some of his own personal, you know, fam- family very close to him, things that have happened and things that are true. He, he, he is more than a football coach, just like all of them are, but very much he was very outspoken about some things that had nothing to do with football throughout his tenure. And so he was an Odom guy brought here by Odom given power by Odom and that was kind of not taken away but kind of changed by Drinkwitz and I think that uh, this has more to do with Drinkwitz long term than short term I think that it might have been an amicable split between Haley and Drinkwitz you look at the performances of the defensive line I think expecting D-line Zoo with a Sheldon Richardson and a Marcus Golden and a Shane Ray come out every year is not necessarily realistic but I think getting closer to that level is the expectation and maybe you can make an argument that i mean 2020 you can't make that argument at all and i and i hate to think that that was put in it because there was so much attrition on the defensive line so many changes so much stuff going on with covid to the point where you really can't assess them as a group that well i don't think maybe i think probably drink was disagrees with me because he's the football coach and he could break down anything uh but in 2019 they definitely didn't play that well when you have a jordan elliott when you have a kobe whiteside most of the guys who are here now you know even though a year younger, didn't play all that well. And now that Walters is gone, maybe the protection Haley needed is gone. It'll be interesting what happens with David Gibbs as the now the lone Odom holdover on the staff, and now that he was not chosen as defensive coordinator. And Steve Wilkes' uh, expertise leads to defensive backs. And so is Ryan Walters. But do they kind of tinker with the staff a little bit? What happens with those 10 assistant positions? Is there more tinkering than just hiring a new defensive line coach? what happens and i think that's going to be the most interesting thing going forward so now uh we'll go into our special guest for this week uh it's mike wilson from the knoxville news sentinel i plan on having him on as i talked about because of missouri tennessee basketball this week but just so happened there's other stuff that happened in knoxville this week do you like hamilton langston haven't seen it i I got disney plus and i still haven't seen it highly 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 recommended uh they said in the knoxville news sentinel office this week they are blasting hamilton so i'm gonna walk mike wilson in with some hamilton Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is, as he says, a sleep-deprived sports reporter, but he's actually the Tennessee Athletics beat reporter at the Knoxville News Sentinel, Mike Wilson. How are you doing, Mike? Doing well, and sleep-deprived is probably an accurate thing, but I think that's kind of the normal state of Tennessee athletics. Yeah, this has been an easygoing, straightforward, nothing-out-of-the-ordinary type of week in Knoxville. 
Um, can you just walk us through everything that's kind of happened this week? You know, just I, I plan on having Mike on because the Missouri-Tennessee basketball game, that seems just priority-wise, kind of further down on the list this week. Yeah, a little bit down down the list. I almost forget sometimes that there's a basketball season going on right now. Um, yeah, obviously Monday started um, pretty crazy for this week. Uh, Tennessee fired Jeremy Pruitt for cause, uh, which obviously is the, the big thing there. Um, and Phil Fulmer stepped aside as athletic director to allow a new athletic director to make the hire. And three days later, Tennessee hired Danny White from UCF, quite quite a notable hire, high paid hire, uh, big time. I mean, that's that's a big move for Tennessee that shows it's serious about uh, the direction it's heading in, and that it's really making changes in the athletic department that that needed it. Just did did you see? I know there was a, it's actually Kansas City law firm that was investigating everything going on with Jeremy Pruitt, but did you kind of see the storm that was Monday kind of coming? Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, for a while, it seemed like it's trending in a direction of, I mean, at this point, Tennessee, they're facing the investigation, had to either fire him or fire him after next year because they'd really hamstrung his future um, with that investigation. It's hard to recruit, hard to do all those things uh, when, when you've had this big, long investigation and really it's drug out for a long time. So that part wasn't stunning, but the Philip Fulmer stepping aside at the same time was more surprising to me. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's the one who hired him. So there's hired Jeremy Pruitt. So there's a tie in there where, where they were pretty li- well linked. Um, but yeah, that that was the part to me that, that took me a little bit by surprise. Now that you've kind of had, it, I guess, uh, kind of now at the end of the week, I mean, hopefully there's not as much big news coming now that has already happened. But now that you're kind of at the end of the week, what is the outlook of Tennessee athletics? Do you feel like is it promising from an unbiased perspective or how, how do you kind of see things compared to where it was maybe on Monday now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a lot of that is going to be dictated by one, what comes of the investigation and two, whomever the football coach is that gets hired. But I mean, in terms of the AD hire, that's a home run hire. I mean, Danny White's considered one of the best. Uh, his track record of hires is phenomenal. I mean, Nate Oates is killing at Alabama. He hired him at Buffalo, I think three years after he was a high school coach in Michigan. Um, so he has a very impressive track record. So it certainly seems more promising. And again, I think a lot of that just goes into when you've gone through this big, long investigation and given no indication that you're going to keep Jeremy Pruitt, you kind of hamstrung your program. So Tennessee pressed the full reset button. um, And depending on what comes from the investigation, I think they're going to find themselves in a better spot. Uh, It might not look that way within the next two years or maybe even three years. Um, but down the road, I think this looks like something that, that will be looked back on as a, as a pivotal moment um, in Tennessee riding the ship. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this, and hopefully you don't shank the question kind of like Philip Fulmer did, but how do you think the Jeremy Pruitt era will be remembered? Oh, man. Um, by a loss to Georgia State, um, bad quarterback play, declining defenses, coaching staff turnover. Uh, I, I mean, it's... They had some nice moments. The back half of the 2019 season was really good, um, but it was underwhelming at every turn. It was a, a losing tenure. He finished 16 and 19, I believe, and that, that's what it's defined by. A, a head coach is defined by wins and losses, and he lost more than he won, and he lost badly a lot. Uh, lost a lot of games by double digits. He lost by 27 to Kentucky this year. So, yeah, to me, when I look back on this tenure, I just see a lot of blowout losses and a lot of coaching staff turnover, but 
that stuff all might be forgotten depending on whatever's found from this investigation. So, so the recruiting was good, though? Did that, that's what matters here? The recruiting was good. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking eventually we're going to find out exactly why it was so good. So now that Jeremy Pruitt has left Tennessee, is there anybody that has kind of emerged as a favorite to be the new head coach, or who are some of the names that are being talked about? Yeah, so the interesting thing when it comes to Danny White, uh, I think the offense is the reputation. When you look at Scott Frost being a hire, Josh Heupel being a hire, both guys with offensive backgrounds uh, before they were hired at UCF. Lance Leipold at Buffalo, offensive coach as well, who, who put up big, big numbers at uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, winning a lot of national titles. So I think the expectation going in is that it's going to be an offensive hire, which is certainly different because Tennessee just went out and hired Jeremy Pruitt, very defensive-minded coach. As far as names go, I mean, the, the hot name that everyone in Knoxville always to some extent seems to want is Lane Kiffin because he was here before, um, ha- had a really like impressive offensive team when he was here and obviously has is, is continued to be an impressive offensive coach. But um, the interesting moment for Tennessee here is that Dondi Plowman and Randy Boyd, the chancellor and president, indicated they want someone with head coaching experience. Um, Tony Elliott, Clemson's offensive coordinator, to me seemed like a good candidate here. But if Tennessee's going full on for head coaching experience, uh, that certainly limits that pool. But you dive into guys like Bill O'Brien, guys like Neil Brown, uh, we start to wonder about. But um, yeah, now there's a new AD, and it's going to kind of press the reset button on that. But I would look for an offensive-minded coach and and someone with head coaching experience. That seems to be kind of what we understand. Did you kind of expect once Monday's press conference happened there to be kind of a mass exodus of players? I mean, just I, I know Wanya Morris is already in the portal, but like it seemed like what four or five guys went in in 24 hours after that press conference. Yeah, and I think that was Tennessee had already had portal problems this offseason. I think before Pruitt was fired, they'd either had 10 or 11 scholarship guys jump in the portal since the season had ended. Um, so they'd already had that. And I mean, that was guys like Jarek Arantano and JT Shrout. So some guys that didn't really have a future at Tennessee necessarily. But the, this week, it was all guys who were serious pieces of Tennessee's future. Uh, Wanya Morris did jump before Pruitt was fired, transferred to Oklahoma like three minutes before Pruitt was officially fired. Um, but Henry Toto and Eric Gray are probably the two most important players on Tennessee's roster. That was a massive blow to see those two hop in the portal. And then in that same kind of half-hour window, Quiveras Crouch, the other starting inside linebacker, and Jameer Johnson starting left tackle. I mean, that's Tennessee took a major hit this week, but it's not that unsurprising. Um, a lot of those guys were recruited by Brian Niedermeyer, who was one of the coaches fired as well. Um, and Jeremy Pruitt gets fired. And, yeah, 48 hours, those four guys were in the portal. Now switching over to basketball, which is kind of the reason I originally had you, uh, wanted to have you on the show this week, but – uh, just so happened that I had to ask you about everything else going on in Knoxville is so what happened on Tuesday night in Gainesville a I think a, a, a 20 point plus loss to Florida for Tennessee basketball was not the worst thing to happen in Knoxville this week but it seemed like Rick Barnes kind of came out after that game really just digging into his team's effort yeah he was pretty scathing uh, post game which deserves uh, I mean pretty much said early on he's willing to make any lineup change that has to be made but I think what, what we really learned about Tennessee in that game was when Victor Bailey's not making shots, they can be in trouble. Uh, I mean, he went I think, one for 10 in the first half, and that is their leading score. They're pretty balanced in scoring, as, as we kind of saw in that first meeting against Mizzou. Um, but when Victor Bailey's not scoring, this team struggles to score. And when Jaden Springer's not out there, Tennessee struggles to have an offensive rhythm. 
Um, th- that's kind of a correlation with the two losses they've had is that Jaden Springer didn't really play, uh, didn't play at all at Florida and missed most of the Alabama game with an injury. So those two guys are really key pieces to this team. And, and I think I walked away from that game thinking that maybe Jaden Springer is the most important offensive player on Tennessee's team. One guy I wanted to ask you about is, uh, is I'm only pronouncing his first name right, is it's Eve Pons, right? Nailed it, man. You pronounce okay. it better than half the people here. That's Well, I got that right from Conzo, and Conzo obviously does his homework, uh, Missouri's head coach. But it seems like Conzo has actually really appreciates the game that Eve Pons plays, just at both ends of the floor saying you might be maybe one of the most improved players in the conference. Do you kind of see that? I mean, just in warm-ups before the game on December 30th, I was like, oh my gosh, who's that player just threw down that huge dunk? And I'm like, it's Pons. <laughs> and last year, Conzo absolutely, like, going after Pons was his strategy in last year's game. And then this year, it's like a completely different player almost. Yeah, I mean, so the, the athleticism, the defense, that stuff's kind of always been there. Um, but he's taken the defense to just an insane level. I mean, he, he's definitely the tone setter for everything that Tennessee does defensively because he can guard any position on the floor because of his length and, and jumping ability. But yeah, I think after the last game against Missouri, Conzo Martin really, really highlighted that what he pawns is offensively really changes Tennessee. And, and I wrote that one after the game because everyone talks a lot about his defense and his offense gets a little bit ignored. Um, he showed some different offensive skills in that, in that game. And I was dead wrong about him, man. It's, it's funny. Um, going into the year, I was debating kind of that first and second team, all sec guys. And, and uh, you know, as as our USA Today Southeast team, we did a, a basketball preseason thing. I left Eve Pons off my off both my teams. Um, I think I was one of only two people to not include Eve Pons. And my you're, reason you're looking was, at the other one. <laughs> yeah. Two so there ball. we go. Yeah. My my thinking was honestly to me felt sound, which was Tennessee has a lot more ball dominant guards now. John Fulkerson's still going to get a lot of shots, and I figured Eve Pons was a guy that was going to lose out on some offense been the exact opposite he's still getting a lot of shots a lot of opportunities so he, he continues to surprise and impress me what's kind of just the outward view on how this missouri team is kind of looked at it seems like expectation wise ac- across the conference it wasn't that high this year but they're obviously now the third highest ranked they're fourth in the conference right now is it just okay we weren't paying the proper attention to them or they actually are doing better than conference-wide expectations actually are doing yeah so going back to the preseason as well i did our the usa today preview for the sec and and i remember analyzing missouri's roster and being like man i've seen all these names before oh yeah these i've seen these names for the past 10 years it seems like um which is always an interesting thing to to juggle because experience is so nice um but when the experience hasn't really shown itself as as big time or or as winning it's hard to know what you're going to get so to me the expectation for missouri was all right these are some good guys who've been there a while if Jeremiah Tillman can stay healthy, maybe there's some more noise that can be made, but you still just don't know um, what you're going to get from a team like that. But I think two things really have gone well for Missouri. One, Conzo Martin's a really good basketball coach, and I don't think he gets the respect nationally he deserves. Um, Very good basketball coach, and it's clear what he's got going with these guys at Missouri. And, And I think, two, it's just those veterans really taking their game up in a year where experience matters because of how COVID affected preseasons. I mean, look at Kentucky, who certainly has the most talent in the SEC, but cannot figure it out. That's a team that needed a preseason. Missouri had so many guys that have played together for so long. I think they really seamlessly slid into this season in a way that that teams with turnover couldn't have. So it's been impressive. And I think it was unexpected. 
Um, but at the same time, maybe looking back, it should have been more expected when you take into account Conzo Martin and experience in a year that that's going to favor experience. Yeah, I think I probably had the highest ranking of Missouri, and I put them sixth in the conference, and they're doing better than that right now. I don't know anybody else in the Southeast that would have done ranked them higher than that. I mean, I know just in the SEC world of anybody who voted in that preseason poll, I think it was the two Mizzou or the three Mizzou reporters who put them all kind of eight, six, eight, seven, and in no particular order that had them the highest. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how the the view of them has changed around the conference. Uh, I can tell you that you did put them the highest. Okay. You you had them sixth out of our, our SEC posse. Um, no one else had Missouri higher than eighth. So, yeah, and most people had them nine or ten was the general consensus. So definitely, yeah, you nailed it much better than anyone else did. Well, I, I, have, I have my fair uh, share of swings and misses, but because I think I, I think I put Kentucky too. But anyway, uh, and I put Alabama five. So that doesn't. I don't think anybody saw how good Alabama is coming, but anyway. I had them fourth, and I okay. felt like a genius at the time, and turns out I underestimated that team sorely. Yeah, just uh, poor Alabama that they don't win in anything, so they got to have this basketball season. Um, just kind of going forward, I mean, how do you kind of see not only Saturday night playing out for Missouri and Tennessee, but kind of the rest of the season for both teams? Yeah, I mean, I think Saturday is pretty important for Tennessee. I mean, the game they played on, on Tuesday at Florida was lousy. Uh, it was their lowest scoring game, the most points they'd allowed. It was just a lousy basketball game as a whole. Uh, they got punked kind of from the from the opening tip off throughout the whole game. And you know now they're going into a game against a really tough physical experience Missouri team. and and I think you know you talk about rebound games or whatever, but Tennessee just can't look as bad as they did on Tuesday. I mean th- that that was a performance that I think w- would have been hard to predict happening in any game this year, but it did. Uh, so they've got to kind of straighten that out. Whether it's a win or a loss Saturday, I'm not sure that matters as much as just playing a better basketball game they did the other day. Because um, this is still a team that should finish at or near the top of the SEC at the end of the year. Um, certainly have a chance to make some noise in the NCAA tournament. But we've we've started to see some flaws that we didn't see through the non-conference now with with when the scoring dries up a little bit and and when some teams that maybe play some more guard-heavy lineups, what they can do to Tennessee. So uh, I'm curious to see how they respond moving forward after that that game on Tuesday. I usually kind of end these things with uh, score predictions. It seems like it's a little more easy to kind of tabulate in football, but if you had to, off the top of your head, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, could you see a final result kind of happening Saturday night? And I, I know Missouri lost by 20 the last time these fi- teams faced. I know neither side's kind of expecting that it's going to be that much of a blowout either way again. Do you kind of see that Saturday's game kind of playing out one way or another? Yeah, I think the first game was kind of shocking. And I think, you know, as, as Tennessee played probably its worst game on both ends of the court Tuesday, I think they played one of their best games on both ends of the court at Missouri. Uh, I mean, they bludgeoned them pretty early and, and were in control throughout. I, I certainly think this one will be closer, probably in the you know, 65, 59 kind of range. I think Tennessee will win, but I'm not confident in that after what I saw Tuesday. But I think it's going to be kind of high 50s, low 60s for both teams in this game. All right, that was Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel. Where can everybody kind of find you, read the opponent's perspective, and the entire, I guess, cornucopia of stories football-wise, AD-wise, you're working on over there in Knoxville? Yeah, we are at govalsextra.com and knoxnews.com, and I am on Twitter at by Mike Wilson. All right, thank you, Mike, so much, and we'll I guess we'll have you on again soon. Thanks, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare, 
The University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to Mike for joining us on this week's podcast. Definitely great to hear some perspective going on in Knoxville. Before we go any further... Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at columbiatribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and in more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Langston, the location of Zaxby's is where? 114 Cinnamon Hill Lane. And you don't even have your phone on you, right? No, you, no. You, you got it by memory now. Off it's pretty the top, good. I go to Zaxby's now. <laughs> you, you, Zaxby's number one fan, Langston. Frequent Nielsen. customer. Fre- <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you get there frequently? Uh, wings and things. Wings and things. There you go. Okay, fair enough. Well, actually now going off of Zaxby's, if you drive from the Columbia location of Zaxby's about, I don't know, like two miles to the West, you'll be at Mizzou Arena, where Missouri played on Tuesday, and actually, it should have been a blowout, but they won by, I think it was ended up being 11 over South Carolina, their second straight win. The women played their Monday night, uh, had a 15-point comeback, fall just short against LSU. They play their Sunday now against A&M, but more importantly for what we're talking about right now, the men play on the road tomorrow night, Saturday night, against Tennessee at home after they got blasted by Florida on Tuesday. Langston, what are you kind of your thoughts going into this game? All the questions that we had last week coming off of that one leak layoff with MU basketball really had kind of been answered. You know, you have a 16-point win over Texas A&M. You have an 11-point win over South Carolina. Tillman looked fantastic against the Gamecocks. I'm just kind of looking at the scores here. And, you know, It'll be interesting to think because we talked about it last week. I don't think Missouri is as good as they've been. And, you know, their highlight went over Illinois. I don't think they are as bad as they have been uh, in some of their losses. Are they, you know, is Tennessee 20 points better than this Missouri team? I don't think so. And so it's going to be interesting to see them go on the road and see if this can be a competitive game because the first matchup was not competitive. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to be 20 points either way. I think Missouri is the type of team that learns from these losses. And when you look at, and I wrote about this for Saturday's paper, is when you look at Missouri's two losses, Tennessee and uh, Mississippi State, Missouri hasn't had a close loss all year. And it's when you look at those two teams and how they beat Missouri, it's kind of Missouri beat themselves before the other team kind of beat them. And you can talk about the tough twos that Iverson Molinar from and DJ Stewart from Mississippi State had to make. Yeah, but Missouri kind of let the levy break before those two took over and made those tough twos. You look at what happened against Tennessee, and before John Fulkerson and, and those types of players just clogged starting lanes and uh, scoring lanes, excuse me. You know, Missouri just kind of just didn't have the intensity they did usually. You know, it, it should have been a loss against Bradley, but they found a way to get it done. Before Missouri loses right now, they, they have as much depth as anybody in the country as of this moment. But Tennessee is one of those teams that can keep up with them in that way. So Missouri lets the levy break early on. This is going to be a tough, tough game. I just think that after that that week break, actually, you don't ever want to break because of COVID and everything like that. But it might have actually been a blessing in disguise for this team to kind of just relax, breathe, 
and just see where it goes from there. Tillman kept his form up. Drew Smith looks good again. Mark Smith has his shot back. They, they really focus now on Xavier Pinson, who looked great before the break, kind of getting his rhythm back and just playing faster. And then Kobe Brown's played some of the better games he's had in a Missouri uniform. So the team is just doing all right and has built up a lot of goodwill, and they're very much in the NCAA tournament field. It's just now, do they take that next step? It seems like Joe Lenardi is flipping them between a five and a six seed right now all the time. They were as high as a four this year we'll see what happens now but i mean it's not worth doing a, a score prediction i did pick tennessee by three in the paper but this game really could go either way and i think that this is this game probably actually is more important for tennessee as mike said than this game is for missouri if missouri loses this game they go to three and three in the conference but you look at what, on the other side auburn who could not beat arkansas even with sharif cooper that's on the road but that doesn't look that bad and then i think four of missouri's next five after that are at home you have TCU, you have Kentucky, you have Alabama on the road to Ole Miss, and then at home against somebody that I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, but um, after after this game is a really kind of a, I don't want to say a favorable stretch, but one that Missouri can really lock down an NCAA tournament spot by the, by Valentine's Day. It really can happen. Yeah, and definitely. And this is an opportunity to get a second you know, top 10 victory in the year already. And so it's going to be really interesting. Uh, one, you talked a little bit about the break being a blessing in disguise from Missouri. Obviously, you, you know, don't want to deal with COVID-19, but it kind of has been that. And it will be interesting to see if, you know, if Tennessee wants to separate itself and into that top tier in the SEC, you take care of this game, especially after a lackluster performance and, you know, 75-49 loss to Florida, which I think shocked both you and I kind of seeing them getting thoroughly outplayed in that game. It is, George, it, is, it is Arkansas at home, then at Georgia, at South Carolina, then home to Ole Miss, home to A&M, at Florida, and the conference after that schedule. Which of those games isn't winnable? The answer is none. And so really the only game that looks like it might be away from Missouri here the rest of the year is, is Saturday. That you can make a very legitimate argument they should not be favored in. And I still think they could win. I mean, I mean as, as I ran it down, I can do it again just to make sure – everybody understands and i'm not favoring missouri just looking at the talent there's no game that is just out of their reach the past couple years been like all right we're getting to this home game against tennessee and and they had some slip-ups against like home against a&m last year you know home against lsu two years ago and they still have to reschedule those games against lsu and vanderbilt that still have to happen the home games they miss but there's just a lot of opportunity for this team left at tennessee on saturday at auburn this coming tuesday tcu at home next saturday and then the week after that is a big week for missouri home against kentucky who is supposed to be great but is has probably a ton of talent but is not playing like it that's that's february 2nd on espn at home that saturday is home against alabama who should be ranked in the top 15 of the country if not the top 12 come monday and is the only undefeated team left in the conference. And can't miss uh, a single three. That was an incredible game against LSU. (laughs) Then it's at Ole Miss, Arkansas at home, at Georgia, at South Carolina, versus Ole Miss, versus A&M, and then at Florida. And then you have maybe those two makeup games and then the SEC tournament. I mean, really, this is a a silver spoon type of schedule now that Missouri is kind of in here. And do I expect Missouri to win every single one of those games? No, and they they won't. Maybe they'll probably lose, lose at least two of them. But this is a schedule lining up for Missouri to stay at least where they are nationally right now, if not move up a little bit. There's, there's not this Big Ten type of schedule. Like, you're going to take your lumps, and there's not the instability that comes with playing in, in a Big 12. It's like, well, you got to go to Kansas. you got to go to Baylor. 
you know, there's just not that for this this team right now. You know, in in a pandemic year, it just seems like everything's kind of shifted to how Conzo Martin wants things. As long as this team stays healthy, they should be okay. Now, kind of going off of basketball, um, let's talk about Hank Aaron a little bit. I, I I think that that's worth it, even though it's he has no Mizzou ties. I don't think, um, but we. I did go to the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City over the summer and got to see got to see that. So when you saw the Hank Aaron news this morning, Langston, what were your thoughts? Just extremely sad, you know, trailblazer not only in baseball but in the way that he was able to fight past racism, discrimination, and really, you know, pave the way and continue to pave the way for African Americans or minorities in general in baseball. And so to see his death was sad and you know, it's it's one of the it's one of the very cool things about Twitter when um, you see everyone on your timeline really kind of take a step back and honor and celebrate someone. And that's something that, you know, I got this morning when I saw the news. It's obviously there's an outpouring of sadness because of his death, but it's also great to see, you know, so many articles and so many tweets of just about when not only an amazing baseball player is, but, you know, what an amazing person he was and in what he meant to baseball and what he meant to African-Americans and to black people. So very sad, but it was great to kind of, you know, just go through this timeline and really see just, you know, what a great person he was. Yeah. It's crazy to think about it. And growing up, kind of in our era there's some discussion because of Barry Bonds you know steroid use who's the true home run king is it Hank Aaron or is it Barry Bonds I still think it is Barry Bonds steroids or not you got to hit the ball out of the park um you know and that'll be a forever discussion but just the way he just the legacy in terms of just the Atlanta Braves in terms of just baseball going throughout this country I mean Hank Aaron is one of those people that you just can see the tangible change with the only thing I think that even gets in the same ballpark maybe as Hank Aaron. Um, I wouldn't say it's Albert Pujols. Sorry to Cardinals fans listening. I wouldn't say it's Mike Trout. But the only player, I think, of this generation that might have that same generational, there's two, and they both played for the Yankees. That's Derek Jeter and that's Alex Rodriguez. That's, that's it. That, those are the only players, I think, that have that generational shift that kind of grew up, that, that played a majority of their career in the 2000s or later. Because I would put Griffey there, too, but he played a majority of his career, I think, especially his great ball kind of in the 90s. Um, that kind of had the same impact that Hank Aaron did, especially just getting the message of the game out there and just being, for for lack of a better phrase, just a great ambassador for what the sport is. Definitely, and it, and it, you know a little bit more. I would say a lot more than me. I'm not truly, a, you know, a baseball fan um, about that. But yeah, it and it was, it, you know, just sad to see. But um, I, I love to see all the uplifting pieces surrounding Hank Aaron, and uh, hopefully there will be another generation because I, I unfortunately. You know, the problem with, I'll, I'll say, like a Mike Trout trying to lead the MLB. It sounds like it's not very marketable. Hopefully, Fernando Tatis can step up and, and, and really kind of... Oh, Fernando Tatis yeah. Jr. Oh. <laughs> junior, yeah. Uh, sorry, I forgot the junior, yeah. He can kind of step up and, you know, be ambassador and, and kind of move baseball forward. Because, yeah, I mean, when you talk about it, uh, kind of growing up, the only players that I, like, I truly, truly knew were, you know, Derek Jr., obviously Albert Pujols. Shout out to Cardinals fans. Um you know, <laughs> Alex Rodriguez, but you know, I don't really follow baseball day in, day out. And, and that's the one thing I would say that league is missing. And that's why when you look at someone like Hank Aaron, why he's so important, they don't have those marketable stars like an NFL or like an NBA. Yeah, I, I very much agree with you there. Um, just kind of looking forward about what, you know, Hank Aaron has done. And it's just like, you know, 
when Vin Scully is shouting you out on Twitter and definitely like that, it, it, it just it's just like wow. It, it it seemed like that spread like wildfire. Um, but yeah, kind of just going back in the Mizzou talk about things. Um, you know, women. We'll talk more about that in the coming uh, episodes. Uh, volleyball starts again next week. I'm going to look to get Josh Taylor as our special guest. Uh, wrestling's going strong. They won both their duels. They're now I think ranked sixth in the country. Uh, baseball and softball are starting soon. Then fo- spring football will be here before you know it. So tons of di- different sports going on at Mizzou, even in the middle of a pandemic. Anything else you want to talk about, Langston? Before we get get out of here? Uh, no, just uh, continue to uh, wear your mask, socially distance, and um, continue to kind of push forward as we get you know more and more exciting news around in the vaccine. Then hopefully more supplies are sent out to local governments and local health departments. All right, for Langston Newsom, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.